Well, welcome everybody to all of our campuses meeting throughout the Twin Cities today. Glad you could join us. I want to welcome those of you watching online around the country and world. You dial in all the time, and we're just glad to have you whenever you can join us uh, today. Uh, a couple of things before we get started. I do want to bring a, some closure to our financial campaign that we had last fall, uh, including in December. And uh, we came in, uh, many of you, about 4,500 families made a commitment of $16.5 million for the next two years to continue expanding uh, our, our work here in the Twin Cities with buildings and so forth. Eight million of that is gonna go down to pay, pay off Woodbury some more. That's a short-term loan and a little bit on Lionel Lakes. We're almost done with Lionel, but eight million there. Six million uh, will go to beginning uh, a permanent site, Campus 6 on the northwest side of the Twin Cities, and then a temporary site, begin exploring that and making plans for Campus Number 7. And then 2.5 million will go to campus improvements at all six campuses that we need to continue to do. But I just want to thank all of you who are a part of this and are uh, enabling us to do what we believe God has called us to do here in the Twin Cities and really around the country. So way to go, church. Uh, Second thing I want to bring your way is last weekend I was teaching out of the book of Daniel and on Saturday night I had made an error in my teaching. I had said that Daniel and his three friends were thrown into the fire. Actually, only his three friends were. Daniel had been exempted from that because he'd got promoted by the king. So I made that mistake. I, I apologize for those of you who uh, sat in the Saturday night teaching to hear that. Corrected it on Sunday so it makes no sense to most of you what I'm talking about. But anyway, that's, I just wanted to clear that little thing up. Today we are in a series called Stronger, and the goal is to become stronger in all areas of our lives, our relationships, jobs, faith, school, whatever it might be. Last week was Stronger in Character, and character is about who you are as a person, but it's more than just intelligence or skills. It's really about honesty and morality and dependability. For example, you can be highly intelligent and yet incredibly immoral and of low character. We all know of people who are intelligent and talented but end up losing something. They lose their job, reputation, family, or future because they were just dishonest or they were immoral, low character. And to avoid that, I said that you have to pre-decide some things. People of strong character who tend to build strong lives make pre-decisions about every area in their life, including their fitness. They decide ahead of time about their work ethic, their spending, faith, sexual and relational boundaries. They don't wait for the temptation to come. They've already pre-decided how they're going to behave and react when the temptation does come their way. Today's message, though, is stronger in relationship, and I'm talking about what it means to be in a relationship with God or have a stronger relationship with God. Several years ago, my wife and I stood in a line that was over a mile long that wrapped around the outside wall of the Vatican in Italy to see Michelangelo's uh, painting of God's hand touching, reaching out to Adam. He painted it in 1508, took him four years. He was so discouraged during this painting, he said to himself, actually he wrote it in his journal, he says, I am no painter, I have no talent in this, yet every single day, 25,000 people go through this line to see this painting on the Sistine Chapel there in Rome. Five million people a year stand in this same line to see God's hand reaching out toward Adam. To be honest, though, when I saw this thing, I was expecting more. I mean, maybe it was the jet lag, maybe it was the outrageous entrance fee, or standing next to some chain-smoking Europeans for three, three hours that annoyed me, but I was hoping for more, you know, more splash, pizzazz, a voice from heaven maybe, some angel dust falling down on my shoulders. But there was something in that painting that caught my attention. If you look closely, the figure of God is extended toward man with great intensity. 
God's body is twisted to move as close to the man as possible. His gaze fixed on him. Every muscle is tight. And it's a, it's a picture of God's longing, I believe, to touch and be with the person he created. But if you look at Adam, he's like, eh. <laughs> he's almost indifferent, even prideful. You know, God comes as close to man as he can, but he doesn't force a relationship because guess what? Relationships can't be forced. And so God gives Adam enough space to choose, hoping he will choose this relationship. The message in this painting and in the Bible is God's sole desire to be in a relationship with every single human being. To touch us. To love us. The ones he created and knows by name. But I have another image that helps me understand God nature a little bit. I've spoken frequently about my dog, uh, to this church who's an absolute knucklehead. He's a sinner uh, from the get-go. But there's a side to my dog that reminds me of God and his desire to know us. In the summertime, our street gets all kinds of walking, traffic, couples jogging, running, kids, bikes, dogs, you name it. And it doesn't matter who it is. Our dog, Blue, wants a relationship with every single person who comes down our street. But we have an electric fence that borders our property and prevents him from leaving the yard. And he knows that if he gets too close to this line, he's going to get a jolt to the neck. He knows that by experience. And so when someone walks by, he runs right up to this line and he begins wagging profusely and he whimpers longingly for someone, anybody to cross the line. Will you please come and play with me? Talk to me, pet me, please, somebody come. But nobody ever does. Nobody ever crosses over or pays any attention. Day after day after day, he gets totally rejected. I'm telling you, if that was me, I'd be so depressed and defeating. I, I would have a complex and wonder why nobody likes me or notices me. But every single day, he gets rejected by people who ignore his invitation to be in a relationship, but he never gives up. He's on that line, wagging and hoping every single day that somebody someday will respond. And honestly, I think that's a picture of the relentless pursuit of God who every single day stands on that line, hoping that we'll respond. Hoping we'll cross over and get to know him. Think about my dog. It's, it's his nature. It's just who he is to be on that line, waiting and hoping. And I'm telling you, it's God's nature no matter how many times he's been ignored or rejected, God stands on that line every single day hoping for people to respond, his hand outstretched, hoping someone will take hold of it. Now, the obvious question is, why don't some people cross over? And what are some barriers that prevent some people from starting a relationship with God or from making that relationship stronger? I have three thoughts on this. I think some people are just unaware they just don't know that God is there, hoping, waiting, longing. You know, the Apostle Paul was in Greece. He was in Athens one day, and he wandered into an area where there was a bunch of philosophers debating, you know, ideas and even ideas about God. And so Paul stands right up in the, in the center of this thing, and he says this to these guys. He says, God gives life and breath to everything. From one man, he created all the nations and determined the times and places they would live, he says God's purpose was that people would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. I think some people are just unaware. 
And these Greek philosophers were unaware that God stands on the line every single day reaching out to them. So Paul says, look, guys, he's right there. You can know him. You can have a relationship with him. You know, the psalmist David wrote, where can I go from your spirit, God? Where can I flee from your presence? And he's saying God is everywhere at all times. He can't escape his presence. Author John Ortberg calls this the everywhereness of God. You know, each morning when I come into work, I set aside just a short time to pray, and almost always I, be, I begin my prayer like this. God, you are all-powerful. There is nothing you can't do. You created the universe. You created this world. You created me. You're all-powerful. God, you're all-knowing. There's nothing you don't know. You know everything about me, my thoughts, my habits. You know everything about this world. And then I think about this all-powerful, all-knowing God, and I say, and yet, God, you're all-present. You're right here in my office with me right now. And honestly, it freaks me out a little bit when I think of that. But are we aware that God is right now present with you? He's with us in this room at all campuses. He's with you in your office. He's there in your car. He's there in your kitchen, your yard, your meeting, your commute. I had a flight from Minneapolis to Chicago right before Christmas, and you remember it was during that time before Christmas, there was about 15 days of fog and dreariness. Remember that? It was like Gotham City. I mean, everything was just dark and depressing for 15 days straight. We took off on this plane, and and in five minutes, we broke through the cloud deck into the most brilliant sunny day that I've witnessed in a long time. The The clouds were as flat and far as I could see. And as the sun shone into the cabin, I thought, everyone back down in Gotham has no idea that a thousand feet up, it's the most brilliant, bright day. I hadn't seen the sun in 15 days. It was just like, oh man, I love this. But I think that's how it is for a lot of people. They're so bogged down in life's fog, they're just unaware that above them, God's power and brilliance is all around. So Paul says, look, he's not far from any one of us. But one barrier is some people are unaware. Second barrier is that some of us are afraid we'll have to change who we are. If we let God into our life, we're afraid that we've got to become you know, something we're not. Several years ago, I interviewed Stephen actor, actor Stephen Baldwin, Alec Baldwin's brother, and when Stephen became a Christian, people thought, oh, now he's going to become all religious, all soft, you know, they wondered, is he going to just accept acting roles that are less violent and vulgar? And I'll never forget what he said to me. He said, Bob, God doesn't want me to stop being Stephen Baldwin. He just wants me to stop sinning. I love that. You know, God doesn't want me to stop being Bob Merritt. You know, I'm a person who loves God with all my being, but I also love guns and golf and chocolate brownies. You know, 1 Timothy 6, 17 says, God gives us richly all things to enjoy. It's not wrong to enjoy the things, good things in life. Some people think, though, that if they let God into their life, they're going to have to become all boring and soft and just a little bit weird. Please, no. Don't do that. God doesn't want to change who we are. He just wants us to stop sinning and wrecking things. Okay? But that's a barrier for some people. Third barrier is this. Some people don't want to let God into their life because they have a sinful lifestyle going on. Some people throw all kinds of intellectual excuses to avoid God because they're hiding behind a lifestyle they don't want to give up. Uh, Lee Strobel was educated at Yale Law. 
He was an atheist. Lee set out to disprove God and Christianity once and for all. He was tired of Christians. But in his search, he could not deny the facts as a lawyer, as a student. He could not deny the facts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, so he became a Christian against all odds. He began writing books about it, New York Times bestsellers. In one of his books, The Case for Christ, Strobel writes this. He said, I once talked to an ex-Marine who said, Lee, I'm miserable. I've got a wife and kids. I'm making more money than I can spend. I'm sleeping with every woman in town, and I hate myself. You've got to help me. But don't give me any of that God crap, because I can't believe in that stuff. Lee said, we argued and argued for hours over this issue. Finally, he said, it dawned on me. I looked at this Marine and said, I don't think your problem is that you can't believe. It's that you won't believe because you're afraid to give up your lifestyle. The guy admitted it was true. I think some people make excuses to avoid God because they're afraid he's going to mess with their sin. And they're not ready for that. It's, it's what Romans 1 says about about. Many people, what can be known about God, Paul says, what can be known about God is plain to people because God has made it plain. Since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen from what has been made so people are without excuse. But, Paul says, some people refuse to worship God or give thanks to him, claiming to be wise. They became fools instead. So God just gave them over to their sinful desires and let them do things that should never be done. The Bible says the evidence of God is plain to everybody. But some people will argue and argue to defend their lifestyle. And so they won't give themselves up or open their heart to God. They're like Mateo. If you've seen this kid arguing with his caregiver, Linda, Mateo. Mateo will argue to his death that his behavior is justifiable. Take a look. Listen to me, listen to me. Like, like I do this all the time. And if I go out at the, at the house with the little girl, Matty has his toys. And then Matty has all his toys. Okay, but I have to yell at you guys. Linda, Linda, listen, listen, listen. Listen, listen, you. listen, listen Linda. Listen, okay, what? Like everything they do at this house, they can't touch everything at Grandma's house. Okay. Okay, then what? Then you're not listening to me. Then you're not listening to me. I asked you not to do something. No, but listen to me. Look at If we do something, if you get that out, that birthday off, you're going to break it. Okay. But I'm asking, I'm letting you know but that you cannot, no, I'm, you're not listening to me. Linda, listen to me now. Listen to me now. No, you're not listening. I said no cupcakes and you try to get cupcakes and you try to ask grandma. But Linda, honey, honey, look at, look at this. Right oh, now they can't do anything if we can't get everything out of the that kid's trouble. That kid is big trouble. Linda, honey, honey, honey. Justifying his lifestyle, his behavior, refuses to... What does a three-year-old know? Nothing. He knows nothing about life, but he will argue to the death. Justifying his behavior. You know, some people, I think, honestly avoid God because they're not ready to give up a sinful life, lifestyle. Listen, Linda, I'm not ready. You know, they're not ready. So those are some barriers 
to reaching across the line. Some people have to God. But for those of you who want to know God, want to experience his love, for those of you who are interested in growing stronger in a relationship with him, let me offer three quick ideas. First one is this, step across the line. Just take a step. What's, what's holding some of you back? What would it take for some of you to cross this line? He's right there, wanting to fill your life with a new kind of love, a new kind of joy, a new kind of peace that you can't get in the world, a new kind of purpose. He's right there extending his forgiveness and willing to remove the regret and loss that sin produces. He wants to take away the fear of your death and mortality that we all face and give you the promise of eternal life through faith in Christ. Friends, it's it's not what you're going to lose. It's what you're going to gain. But you've got to cross the line. David said in Psalm 34, he said, look, just, just taste and see that the Lord is good. Just taste. Extend your hand toward his and find out that God is so good and that he's for you, that he wants to fill you with a new kind of peace and purpose. If you haven't crossed the line, what's holding you back? Is it doubts, fear, need more evidence, afraid what your friends are going to think if you let God into your life? Man, this is too important to not get right. So keep asking questions, start reading, searching. But friends, you've got to get this one nailed down, okay? That's one way. Step across the line. The second way is beware. Be aware that God is reaching out to you right now, even while we're sitting here. Some people think the only time you experience God is when something miraculous happens or spectacular happens, but the teaching of the Bible is that God really is present right here, right now. Be aware that it's no accident that you're sitting in a church right now where God might be speaking to you. Be aware that maybe somebody in your life invited you to a place like this. Be aware that you have Christian friends who pray for you and love you. That's no accident. Be aware that God is always standing on the line, reaching out to you during the day at work, in the classroom, on the drive home, around the dinner table. You know, most people go throughout their day totally oblivious to the everywhereness of God, and so they miss him. Again, one of my habits every day when I get to work is to spend just 15 minutes of Bible reading and prayer, just 15. I read a little bit out of a good book and then a little bit out of the Bible, and I just usually sit quietly before God. Oftentimes don't say anything, but just sit quietly before him. One, minute, one morning last week, I opened to James chapter 1, and when I came to verse 17, I knew that God was speaking to me. Very simple verse. It says, every good and perfect gift is from God above. And I, I paused on that verse. I've read that verse a hundred times before. But this time, I looked up from the page and I thought, it's true. Every good and perfect gift I have is from God. God gave me life. I mean, that's a gift. Um, he sustains me. He gives me breath. I didn't create me. God did. He gave me intelligence so I can work and produce. He's given me unlimited resources and opportunities to use my gifts to teach and lead. He gave me a beautiful earth to enjoy. This isn't Fargo. This isn't Maplewood. I understand that, but, but it's out there somewhere. He brought a beautiful woman into my life 30-some years ago, six years ago, who he created. 
I don't know why everybody laughs when we show that. It's just, you know, I guess there's some hair there, but. But he brought this woman into my life. She's an amazing gift. He's given us two kids and their spouses who brought such joy and fullness to our lives. All gifts. I mean, have you ever thanked God for the good and perfect gifts he's just poured into your life? Friends, every gift I have comes from God who has just opened the floodgates of heaven and poured so much awesomeness into my life that all I can do when I read a verse like that is just pause and say, thanks, God. You're so good to me. If you don't know how to pray, by the way, that's okay. Some of your best prayers could be where you don't say anything. You just open God's word. You come to a verse like that, and you just reflect on it. Let God speak to you. On the other hand, if you're not interested in knowing God, if you're not interested in becoming stronger in your relationship with him, all you have to do is ignore him. Just keep walking past. It's not hard to push God out. All you have to do is avoid contact with anything that would allow you to hear God's voice. Avoid Bible reading. Avoid church. So glad all of you are here today. Way to go. But avoid wise and godly people who would speak the truth to you. Stay insanely busy so there's no time for self-reflection. Mostly, if you want to just keep God out of your life, just make sure that in your life and thoughts, there's no room for God. That's all you got to do. Psalm 10.4. In their pride, oftentimes it's just pride. I'm going to live my life my way. I'm, I'm just proud. In their pride, the wicked do not seek God, in all their thoughts, there's no room for him. God is never, friends, never more than a thought or prayer away, but man, you've got to make room. You've got to open up and become more aware that God is right now, right here, reaching out to you. Third way to begin or strengthen a relationship with God is pursue God's fullness. Those who would avoid having God in their life, uh, I would have to ask a question. Is there a fullness in your life? You know, one of the questions people ask is, why would I want to open up my life to God and let him mess with my lifestyle of sin and greed and lust and sexual misconduct? I mean, it's a fair question because sin can be fun, let's be honest. Sin can be alluring and addictive for a time, but what if you knew there was more? What if you knew there was a fullness of life that God promises to those who reach across the line and let God come in? Love what Jesus says about this. He says, I have come to give you life and give it to the full. So again, to those who have avoided God up until now, is there a fullness in your life? Is there an an unusual kind of joy and peace that you can't explain? Is there a freedom and wholeness to your soul that comes through forgiveness and grace of Jesus Christ? As you peer into your future, 5, 10, 20 years down the road, do you see a fullness of life with God at the center of your relationships? Do you see a marriage and family built on a lifetime of love and truth? Do you see friendships that are flourishing and intact? Or do you see yourself alone and fractured? Is there a fullness? Or would you have to admit that in your quiet moments there is a void? There is a meaninglessness that gnaws at your spirit. God stands on the line every single day and says, I'm here. I'm here. Just waiting. 
I invite you into fullness of life. I don't know most of you, but I really do have a love for every one of you at all six campuses, and I want the very best for all of you, and I'm I'm so hopeful that if you haven't done it yet that you will cross the line soon so that you can know God and experience his love and forgiveness. I want to close our time today with a picture of what I think could be if you let God in and he becomes the center of your life. 28 years ago, my wife and I welcomed into the world a little six-pound, 11-ounce baby girl, and the minute she was born, I knew that God was in the room. I heard her cry, and then I cried because God's miraculous work was so obvious to me. As Megan grew, every time she sat on my lap or looked up at me or fell asleep in my arms or called me daddy, I knew that she was God's tangible gift to me. And I have thanked God for her every single day since that time. But last Sunday, after church, and usually after church, I just drive home and kind of stumble in through the door, uh, pretty exhausted. I, I came into our kitchen, and my wife said, Bob, our plans for today have changed. She said, Megan is in labor, and she's having her baby today, five weeks early. My first words were, you got to be kidding me. My second words, words were, well, this is not good timing for me at all. <laughs> but we drove down to Rochester, and, and there she was, two, two hours old, Isabel Lou, Ibby is what they're going to call her. Looks just like her granddad. <laughs> but that means I'm married to a grandmother. That's a thought. <laughs> a smoking, good-looking grandmother, I might add. But my son David and Sarah joined us, and all six of us gathered in this little room at the Mayo Clinic, and we looked down at this tiny child, perfectly created in God's image. And once again, I knew that God was in the room. About an hour later, after pictures, I said, you know, we we need to pray, and so I asked the attending nurse if she would uh, leave us alone as a family, because this was going to be a holy moment, just between our family and God. And I began praying, and I thanked God for Isabel, that he would protect her, that he would bless her and lead her life. I prayed that she would seek after God, and that at a very early age, she would place her faith in Jesus and extend her hand to God's, and that she would make choices that would honor him and not scar her life. I prayed for my son-in-law, Nellie. Nellie has had a rough go with his family, and it's been wonderful to watch him love this little girl and love my daughter. And I prayed for Nellie and Meg that God would give them courage and wisdom. Two days ago when Meg brought little Ibby home, she cried all night. Megan did. Not, not the baby. And she called my wife and said, I don't know if I can do this. And we assured her that she could. And then the tears just flowed because we all knew that God was there. And I looked at my family and I thought to myself, it doesn't get any better. We are so blessed. Because friends, when you think about it, life really does come down to relationships our relationship with God, our Creator, our Savior, 
in our relationship with other people. And here's what I want to say. I, I just want that for all of you. I want that for your marriages. If you're married, I want that for your families and grandkids and friendships and future. I want you to experience all the fullness that God has for every single one of you. But I'm telling you, you've got to cross the line. You've got to put your hand in his and let God love you and lead you. And I just wonder today, is today going to be that day for you when you cross the line, if you haven't done it already? At all six campuses, I want to close a prayer, but I want to especially pray for those of you who are ready to cross the line and meet God. You can do that in this prayer. So just stay seated where you are just for two minutes, and please don't anybody get up. This is a holy moment. I know that we're really full today, and uh, you want to get out to your cars, but just chill. Okay, we're going to pray. And uh, it's a really, really big moment. Let's bow and pray at all campuses together. Father, thanks so much that you stand on the line every single day hoping you don't force yourself you don't force a relationship because love doesn't do that you stand and you wait hoping God I, I think that today will be the day for some who are sitting here at our campuses that they'll finally just choke down pride and say, you know what? I have nothing to lose. Got everything to gain. God, I want to place my hand in yours and let you lead me. And so right now, right here, I want to lead those of you who are ready to do that in a quick prayer. You just pray this silently where you are. You don't have to pray it out loud. God knows your heart. He created you, knows everything about you. Just breathe a prayer that goes something like this. Lord God, I have walked past you pretty much all life long. I've avoided you. You've stood on the line and waited patiently. And I want to thank you for that. But God, right now, right now, right here, I'm ready to put my hand in yours. I want to put my faith in your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and paid the price for my sin on a cross that anybody who would receive that free gift will be forgiven. And so right now, Lord, I put my faith and trust in you. Please forgive me of my sins. Clean me. Make me new. And give me that new kind of joy and peace and purpose that has eluded me. Lord, thank you in this moment that you are right now saving me and beginning a relationship with me that I will try to pursue the rest of my life. I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer, I'd like to have you tell somebody about that. We have resources down front at all of our campuses. You can come down as well. But have a safe journey home, everybody. God bless you. Thanks.